the topic of death is one that people want to avoid. Yeah. Period. Yes. We don't like to talk about death, but it's a, a reality. Yeah. It's, it's a fact of life. Yep. And so these dinners are to get the conversation going and, and to potentially change that way of looking it can't be avoided. It's something that we must talk about and we must address. Yeah, and we don't have to do it in ways that are so dark and serious. You know, by the way, this is this is what I want, right? I want to be a tree, right? Or, right, 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 yeah. <laughs> when people are like, just throw me in the dumpster. Welcome back to the Informatics Cafe. I'm Mike Nightardi, your host. And today in the cafe with me, I am pleased and proud to have Andrea Lambert South. She has both her law degree and her PhD, and she's a professor of communication here at NKU, but that's not all. She's also the chair of NKU's Institutional Review Board. She's also a member and mediator on the NKU ADR Center, and she's also the Communication Studies Program Director, as well as the Health Communication Program Director. Andrea, welcome. It's Thank great you. to have you here. Absolutely. So happy to be here. I, I can't believe that you have the time to be here, given the <laughs> list of things that we just went through. I'm so excited to get to speak to you. I, I, something that our producer, Chris Brewer, talked to me about last year was about this this death over dinner person that might be sp- speaking to us. And, I, and I'm so happy to have you here today to talk about that. So I know that we're going to be talking about death over dinner, but why don't you give our listeners a little bit of a background about yourself before we get started? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a family communication scholar, and really that is um, learning and telling the stories of families and family dynamics and really how communication plays a role in who we are and how we interact with each other. So I study uh, divorce, step families, um, kind of juvenile issues, uh, death, and anything that's like dark and seems really negative is what I really kind of go to because I like to bring the light to the dark in a Very lot of ways. Cool. Very and, cool. And talk about like how those things are, are not things that we shy away from, but we can learn so much from each other from. Well, so. I, I tell you what, there's got to be a story and how you get involved in something like that. Would you mind sharing about how you got interested in all this stuff? Uh, gosh, I don't... I don't know. Maybe I was born dark. (laughs) I don't know. I I just, I find so much more nuance in in those things that we don't talk about. And I like to uncover those layers of of what is happening communicatively. We used to say, like, in interpersonal communication, a a lot of it was Mm Pollyanna-ish, right? So what are the things that we can do to be more happy or to have better relationships? And uh, that wasn't interesting to me. So wow. wow, that is something else because it seems like everything that you just mentioned really are topics that people don't like to talk about, right? Yeah, or things that are taboo. And what we're going to be talking about today is called death over dinner, which seems like a really weird way to put it. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, so it's actually um, it's it's not a project that I started. I, I read about it in the New York Times, so I was kind of fascinated by it, and and I was like, you know what? No one is empirically studying. Like it seems on the face of it, that these are really positive experiences and these are good things, but no one's empirically studying how effective they are or if people go and, and do the things that they say they're going to do after the dinner. So go get an advanced directive or go get their will done or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So my colleagues and I got together and kind of planned out this research and, you know, planned out what we're going to do with the death over dinner, who we we're going to recruit, and then we did follow-ups okay. as well afterwards. Okay. So, What's the structure? Yeah, of a, so of um, we had, and this is where I incorporated students because I wanted them to know the research process. Um, we had them be facilitators. So they were trained, they were IRB trained, you know, we made sure all of that, and then they would get groups together. We always start the dinner by, you know, 
people, usually they're groups of people who know each other. Everybody would go around and, you know, say three sentences about someone who had died and like we raise a, you know, glass to them or toast to them. And then we just have people talk about kind of what are your wishes? What do you want? What do you not want? What are your fears? Like... And the friend groups tended to be more candid in a lot of ways than when we had family groups. Because okay. some families, it's it's usually not the parents or the older people in the group that don't want to express their wishes. It's usually their adult children who don't want to hear it. Okay. From and their parents? From their parents. They don't want it. They don't, they don't want like, to talk about the topic? They don't, they don't, Mom, don't talk about, you know, don't talk about that. Don't talk about dying or whatever. And and, and so what we know from from families of people who are dying, the people around them won't let them talk about dying. They'll be like, don't mom, it's going to be okay. Right. As mom is in hospice and she wants to say, this sucks. Right, right, right. right, right. But they won't let, you know, they're like, no, 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 mom, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. So we don't allow people to express the things that they want to. You know, the second article that came out of this was um, all the humor mechanisms that people do in these conversations. And overwhelmingly, everybody who participated in these death over dinners felt better at the end, felt um, more supported and knowing that people were going to honor their wishes. Um, So it's a conversation that people avoid at all costs that we know is important. But when people do have these conversations, they are so satisfied and happy and feel closer to the people around them that they've shared this with. So, you know, trying to break down that taboo because there's so much that you can get about how to be in conversations. I did one with uh, with colleagues and I and I have a colleague that that, you know, is in the College of Informatics. And she said that she was deathly afraid of like being put in the ground and like worms eating her or whatever. And I'm like, whatever. Like it's not it's not her at all. It's like, right, what's yeah. wrong with you? Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Like just these things that 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 you would never guess about uh, about other people and their fears that and sharing those things make you feel closer to people as well. Sure. So would you recommend that anybody go through one of these dinners? Depending on the family system, there's some families that that maybe it would be too difficult for perhaps, but usually those are the families that need it the most. But I recommend anybody, not necessarily having a death over dinner, but I recommend anybody, you know, saying to your adult children or saying to your children, you know, by the way, this is this is what I want, right? I want to be a tree, <laughs> right? Or, right, 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 yeah. Or, you know, with the humor ones, some people are like, just throw me in the dumpster. Like, obviously, we're not going to do that. Um, but Express to people like what your wants and needs are because what we know, especially the law aspect later, is that if those things aren't expressed, that's when people do really silly, ridiculous things like maintaining life when people did not want life maintained or fighting with siblings and like, you're willing to let mom go and and I want to keep her alive because I'm, you know, these these roles that we have as children and, mm-hmm. and rivalries mm-hmm. play out later mm-hmm. in really awkward, weird ways. Definitely. <laughs> so Definitely. creating a situation where that stuff doesn't have to happen, I think is one of the um, kindest things you can do for your kids or the people around you, giving them solace that this is what you wanted is right. is a really kind gift. So it sounds to me like a, a large uh, part of what takes place is people talking about their desires for end-of-life decisions. Mm-hmm. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. End-of-life decisions and kind of what they want for 
you know, the memorial or yeah, something like that. Funerals or, yeah. or memorials. And, yeah. and my sister-in-law is a, is a funeral director and um, my husband worked um, for a, a funeral company for a long time. So I've been around a, a, a lot of this and giving people the ability to say like, you know, this is what mom wanted, right? Right. No, I, I think that that is brilliant because I just sitting here thinking personally that my mom, uh, you know, every once in a while to the family will say in passing a couple of things about how she wants her memorial to be. Yep. But we've never kind of like really said, you know, is this what you want? You know, to which I could see in the future, um, you know, someone saying, well, remember, mom used to say X, Y, and Z, but then someone else is like, no, that's so inappropriate. Right. We're not going to do that. Yep. And so what you're talking about is a way to kind of make it official yeah. and to say, no, remember we had this death over dinner and mom said. Yeah. We had this conversation. We were all here. That's what she said. And, and and giving, again, it goes back to giving people the space to kind of express those things. So those little moments that your mom is doing that, like a lot of people will just like take that moment and just change the subject. But interrogating the people around us, uh, interrogating in a positive way of like, oh, you know, what what else do you want, mom? Or my grandmother is 93 or 95. She won't, we don't really know her age, 95, <laughs> 120, we don't know. But, um, you know, when she, she'll talk about, this will probably be the last time I do this or something like that. And everybody else around her will, you know, change the subject or whatever. But I make sure to ask of like, that sucks, man. You know what? What do you what do you think about this? How does that feel? This being the end, and um, I don't think we are comfortable with that. And it goes back to why people don't talk about death because I think people are um, superstitious. They feel like talking about death brings it into being. Like right. if we say this, right. then you know, step on a crack, break my mother's back, or something like that. It. Doesn't happen. Good. <laughs> <laughs> right. So if we say it, then it, it then it we're we're people like to avoid. Uh, uncomfortable topics, and we don't want to speak them into being, like you were saying, yeah. is that we don't want to somehow be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Because we're talking about death, we're inviting it right. somehow. Yeah. So it seems to me then what we're what, what we're talking about here is is that the benefit of the death over dinner is not just the um, end of life directives or, or you know fleshing that out and everybody being there to hear that, um, but also like you were saying is is actually getting people to approach their feelings mm-hmm. and to confront their feelings. Yeah. Um, and so it seems to me that these dinners can can be uh, emotional, but you also said that there's some humor involved. Yeah, and I would say very few of them have been that I have witnessed have been uh, kind of emotional. Like there'll be moments of something, but usually um, it's a lot of humor. You know, there's gallows humor, which yes. we know of. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of um, it, one of my favorite ones was, uh, you know. It was a young woman, and they were going around, you know, raising a toast. And a lot of the people that were participants were college students who hadn't thought about their own death or, or anything sure. like that. Yeah. Um, and she hadn't really lost anybody. And she's like, this is to my step-grandpa because he's really the only one that, you know, that I've lost. But honestly, he was a really shitty person. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know? So, um, but it, or the, like, you know, gallows humor of, you know, they witness, you know, something on a body or, or something like that. But, you know, we do that to, to cope. But there's self-deprecating humor. And my favorite is when there's couples or a husband and wife in it because they will quip back and forth of like, hope that life insurance policy is, you know, paid up and, you know, uh, can't wait to get my new girlfriend and just little stuff like that. But 
I would say humor is probably overwhelmingly the most common thing that happens in these mm -hmm. conversations. Because mm -hmm. um, that's that's how we cope. And, and that's also kind of another line of research of like humor in lots of different situations because that's, again, that's, that's me wanting to bring light to the dark. And I think humor is one of those things that does that. No doubt. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the research then around it that you do. Yeah. So obviously there's some utility in the dinners themselves. Uh, they're they're good. They they bring good to people and yep. help them talk about the issue. So, what kind of research do you do around that? Uh, yeah. So, like I said, we do um, kind of empirically do follow up of kind of satisfaction um, after the dinner, three months out, six okay. months out, and then we also um, because people make lots of promises during these these dinners, right? Of like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to contact my lawyer. I'm going to kind of get this advance directive and whatever, and research around how how much people do that. Um, and it's it's not 100%, of course, right? Because that's just who we are as people. But we're surprised by the follow-up of, of people. And it's good, too, because when you talk about these things in a group, then you have other people who are going to encourage you. Like, hey, mm -hmm. Mom, you said you are going to go contact the lawyer. Have you done it yet? Right? So, oh, yeah, I'll go do that. You know, whatever. So th that's the empirical stuff we do behind it, besides doing um, kind of We'll transcribe all the dinners, and oh, really? then wow. um, then we'll do like each utterance is a is coded, and we look for particular themes of the mm -hmm. code, and then kind of go back and forth and do these iterations of what we call grounded theory to come up with kind of what communicatively is happening um, in these situations. So we really kind of break those down and and look at what we call narrative chaining. Um, in a group when people chain off of each other and where conversations go and what happens That's within a group. So, That's fascinating. Yeah. And so I was actually going to ask the next thing was going to be how this ties into some of your other work. Yeah, you know? well, I think uh, any of it because our, our relationships and um, kind of what we do in, our, in interpersonal and family common whatever is how our roles in a in a family are not just our roles. Our roles are enacted. So everything is enacted in and through our communication with each other, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I can't play the role of professor if everybody else in the room isn't participating in that role, you know, that or you know, supporting that role. And right. I I tell my students all the time, I was like, what stops you from walking out of here? Um, they're like, well, you know, like my grade or whatever. I was like, but if you all decide that you don't respect my role and you all leave, if it's all of you, then I'm the one who gets in trouble, right? It's not them because all of my students have walked out. You know, what do you think my chair is going to say? So, but in all of these relationships or, or family relationships, it's it's how we communicate roles, how we enact those roles, how we play those roles, and. Uh, most family scholars, including myself, are systems theorists. So anything that's happening in a family system, you can never point to one person and, and scapegoat them and say that's, you know, they're the problem, right? Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. the whole system is participating in that. And it, and going back to the dark of when someone does get scapegoated, like, what are the positive things that are happening for the other people who are doing it? They create these little triads. They have these other relationships. It feels good to scapegoat and all of that. So... This is just another um, lens, mm -hmm. I think, to mm -hmm. see family dynamics and right. and kind of going to the to the lawyer stuff too, or when I meet with with families when it comes to their wills and and what they want done and whatever. It's fascinating to me, and I and I, I don't always interrogate it. 
Um, but when people leave a child out of a will or, or right. whatever, and like the researcher in me wants to like sit down and like talk about like <laughs> what they do. Right, wow. exactly. Yes. Or I want to yeah. be like, do, do you think about what, what legacy that creates of, of that's their last moment of thinking of you as leaving you out, you know, et cetera. And, wow. But wow. how all those things work and impact people's lives and the decisions people make when it comes to family relations are fascinating to me and I think all of my work no matter what the topic is is trying to understand those things right so. right you mentioned uh, obviously your your lawyer and, and you mentioned the the practice there just a little bit and um, it's it's a very uh, messy area of the law <laughs> family law yeah I have a a good friend young lawyer um, and, and he's a great lawyer, and, and he has declared he's getting out of the family law yeah. business, and just because he can't take it anymore, yep. because of the messiness of it. You know, can you can you speak a little bit about that, and about it because of is it the it's obviously a lot of the emotions that go into it. Yeah, I think so. And you know, to be honest, so I, I started a mediation business, um, and uh, you know, I mediate um, divorces and, and a variety of other disputes, um, and then you know being a lawyer is new and kind of deciding cases that I will take. And I'll probably, like, for now, in the near future, because of what I want to do as far Mm -hmm. as I think that families can come together in other ways that are are more positive, so mediation. So I will only do uncontested divorces. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not... I'm not going to do the crazy stuff. And, you know, to be honest, and, you know, apologies to any any lawyer who's offended, our process as it is creates more of that drama of, you know, I could get more or you're not going to see the kids and whatever. So you have two parties paying retainers to two different lawyers and, you know, you you know, use up the retainer, so we'll fight, and then then maybe we'll go to mediation or right, something. Yeah, so yeah. I, think, I think the industry is to blame for a lot of that. Um, but... Family stuff is is, is messy. Is, is messy. Messy. Yeah. It's really, really mm-hmm. messy, and it's so draining on and so many people. And I think the reason why I enjoy it, and you know, I, I did my mediation training when I first got to NKU like 16 years ago, and there was a, a, a lawyer at Chase who um, also attended the training. He was after the family mediation training. He was like, "No way, I will ever do this." <laughs> right, and I'm like fascinated by right, it. Right. So, but I think the only thing that keeps me like. It's the people, of course, but mm-hmm. I'm looking for more and more layers right, right, of understanding, right. tying things together. And I think that helps me to endure. <laughs> and, and, and also, I eventually want people to see that, yeah, yeah these things are tough and, and, and whatever, but we can make this better. And, and, and I think for all of communication and inside of uh, the College of Informatics, really all of us and all of my colleagues are doing what we do to make our interactions better with other people. That makes sense. You know, looking forward, you know, for our listeners, what would you say to them about about how to get involved in a death over dinner, or whether they should, or just about the topic in general? Yeah, well, d- definitely. You can in just you can just Google death over dinner, and um, they on the website they have lots of kind of toolkits and whatever you can create your own, mm-hmm. um, and it gives you sample. Um, kind of things to send out to your family members to get them prepared or sample ways to start having the conversation or or whatever. Or it could be just as casual as you want. Mm-hmm. So, you know, say to your family, listen, you know what? 
on this night, we're going to we're going to have some wine. We're going to talk about what we want. Right. right. And it's going to be OK and it's going to be a good time. And we need to let each other know kind of what we want. And this is the like people who sell insurance. Like That's how they sell it. Right. Like, right, like right, you right. want to this is the gift that you can give to your family if something happens to you. This is you caring for them. You sharing with your family members uh, your wants and needs at the end is caring for them and giving them a delightful gift of, of solace later. That makes a lot of sense. So for students at, at NKU, what would you say to them about how to get involved or what they could do around the topic? Yeah, that's why I love this too. Of uh, We didn't you know, start out planning to study college students and friend groups and, and um, you know, just happened because I was involving my research methods um, students in this process to understand research, um, you know, a lot of them never thought about death, right? And, you know, didn't want to talk about it with their parents or with each other. And I think if they're not ready to think about their own, I think what they could do, even if it's not, you know, formal, ask your mom or dad or mm-hmm. grandma, like, what do you want? Like, what do you what do you want it to look like at the end? How do you, like, that was the other thing that was in, in kind of our write-ups of, like, how do you want to die? How do you not want to die? Like, obviously, that's not your choice in a lot of ways. Right. Um, but there's a lot of stuff around that of, right. like, I want to die in my sleep. I want to, you know, I, you know, I, I just want to, you know, a variety of other things. So kind of what are those wishes? But ask, ask mom what she wants at the end um, or dad or grandma. And I think that's a simple thing that it will start the conversation and it also s- starts that from, you know, this it's not a taboo topic because exactly. I'm bringing it up. Exactly. Andrea, I want to thank you so much for joining us today in the cafe for what has been truly a very interesting and, and eye-opening uh, topic and experience. Um, and best of luck with, with all your work. Yes, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Informatics Cafe is presented by Informatics Plus, the outreach arm of Northern Kentucky University's College of Informatics. Hosted by Mike Nitardi, produced and edited by Chris Brewer. Music and recording by Aaron Zlatkin, recorded at the Informatics Audio Studio in Griffin Hall.